I'm always um, grateful for the opportunity to teach the word. I love scripture. But it also is incredibly humbling when you see how God is speaking directly to you and through you. This morning, um, you wouldn't be aware of this, but when Daniel spoke just then about what God had put on his heart this week and how he wanted to exhort us, it is just so... He was reading my mail, my, my message notes. We don't collaborate with one another before um, on Sundays. We don't know what's being taught. And when God speaks, um, it's a bit overwhelming. Um, and I feel really humbled by the fact that he has put this message on my heart because it's from my own heart. It's something that personal that he's been dealing with on, with me. But it's obviously, it's for all of us. Um, so we're seven weeks into the new year. And uh, Pastor Barry has been leading a wonderful series that deals with joy. And we all want to think that, that that's what our year ahead has for us. And that's how we go into the new year, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. When we start a new year, there's this, this hope that's inside all of us that says, this year is going to be my best one yet. This one is going to be different. This one is going to be the one where my, my dreams and passions, the goals that I have set for myself, where things start to happen even unconsciously, you're preparing yourself for something good or hoping at the very least for something good. You're a student. This year is going to be the year I get firsts across the board. That's, I'm working towards that. I'm believing God. I'm praying. I've been putting all this effort into it. You're single and you've been believing that that partner that you have is out there. This is the year it's going to happen. This is the year I'm hoping for. That job that you've been aiming for, working overtime for, it's going to happen. But the reality is, for all of us, sometimes we go into a year with those expectations and we end the year in a completely different way. Years ago, I remember, I was still living in Canada at the time, I remember listening to, and I don't do this regularly, but I'm a, a royal fan buff, and uh, I heard um, Queen Elizabeth's Christmas message. And um, it was the year that she described as Annus Horribilis, her horrible year. That was the year that there was a fire in Windsor Castle and all sorts of other things that happened in their life personally. When the year started, she wasn't expecting what happened to happen, but it did. And that's one thing that we all have in common. Stuff happens. Disappointment comes. Disappointment comes. It's common to all of us. We're not immune to it. And this morning... I want to walk you through the life of one person who had to deal with disappointment for a very, very long time and how he handled that. You might not think of him as someone who dealt with that, but when I look at his life, I see an extraordinary example of someone who knew how to deal with disappointment. And I'm talking about Joshua. For those of you who aren't familiar with him, he lived more than 3,000 years ago. And uh, he was personal assistant to one of the most successful and, and powerful leaders in history, Moses. He spent 40 years serving under Moses, learning from him, watching his example, seeing God work through him. And yet, when it came time for him to step into Moses' shoes and to take over leadership, it's interesting um, what the Bible records he said. You want to put the first scripture on up? Joshua 3. 
Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. After living 40 years under the leadership and the example of this extraordinary man, Moses, Joshua is saying, I'm taking you somewhere that you've never been before. Moses didn't do it. He didn't take you where I'm taking you. Moses couldn't do it. But I'm going to take you somewhere new. This extraordinary leader didn't do what Joshua said he was going to do. And this morning, I'm hoping to help you make that same step. That though you think that you have been on this trajectory, that you've been following a, in a direction, a certain way, that, that's been a great example, God is saying to you, there's a new way I want you to go, and you haven't been this way before. You need to follow out from your positions and follow the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. Wherever that presence went, they were to follow. You might have been following God for years, decades, or maybe you're quite new. But he's taking you somewhere you haven't been before. And are you willing to follow? That's my question for you this morning. First, I need to bring some context for you uh, regarding Joshua. He was a teenager when Moses took him under his wing. Numbers 11 says he was a servant to Moses from his youth. So that refers to him being a teenager, maybe older teenager. He followed Moses absolutely everywhere. He was the groupie of all groupies. He went with him everywhere that he went. When they marched out of Egypt, he was right beside him. He was with him on that long march when they had all the Egyptians following behind. He saw Moses. He saw his attitude. He saw the way he responded to the stress and the pressure. When Moses stood in front of the Red Sea with armies behind him and complaining multitudes all around him and water endlessly in front of them, he watched and saw what Moses did and how Moses listened and how Moses obeyed. He saw the seas parted. He watched and followed as Moses walked over the Red Sea bed on dry land. He watched as the waters came down and drowned the Egyptian army that was trying to catch them. He stood next to Moses as they went in to the desert and came to Mount Sinai. He camped at the base of Sinai when Moses went up onto the mountain and met with God and got the Ten Commandments. He was there when Moses came down, his face shining like the sun. He was there for every significant and insignificant moment of their history. I want you to just to stop and think how significant it was. If you had that kind of an opportunity, if you had that kind of a chance to be walking with someone of that kind of caliber, seeing this kind of stuff happen day in and day out, how would that affect you? How would that make you feel about who you were, that you had been chosen to, to follow in his footsteps, to learn from him? How would your sense of identity grow and develop, your confidence in this God whom this man was following? Think of the impact it had on him because he was one of God's chosen people. I want to read to you from Exodus 17. Moses chose Joshua 
He says, so Moses did what, sorry, Joshua did what Moses had commanded. They'd come up to, to a certain place in the, in the wilderness, and there was obviously opposition everywhere that they went. God was taking them to a place that they would have to take over and occupy. And on the way, they met the armies of Amalek. And Moses commanded him to fight with the armies of Amalek. Meanwhile, while Joshua took these men out to fight, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. And then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write down on a scroll as a permanent record and reminder what has happened and read it aloud to Joshua. How significant is that? In the Hebrew, that, that, that the inference of that last verse is it's not a one-time thing, it's an ongoing thing. So maybe daily, at least once a week, Moses would pull out this parchment and read an account of what had happened. How as the presence of God was maintained, as he held his hands up before God, how the presence of God gave him victory in battle. How Joshua led the armies in their first excursion against the enemy and how they won. Over and over, Joshua would hear this. So this is what's happening in this young man's life. He's got this example. He sees this happening and then he's walking it out. Do you think his sense of self was strong? Do you think his sense of destiny was great? He knew that God was up to something and God was leading them into something and he was going to be a part of it. So here he is being used in this amazing way. Three months after they left from Egypt, they arrive on the outskirts of the Jordan River where they're supposed to then go into the promised land. Full of excitement, full of expectation. So when Moses said to him, I want you to be part of the 12 men that I'm going to send in to spy out the land, do you think he jumped at the chance? Of course he did. He was eager to be part of this, excited to see what God had ahead. And so we pick up the story in Numbers 13. After exploring the land for 40 days, so he's out there with 11 other guys, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and indeed it is a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was everything that God had promised them it would be. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But, I hate that word, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They were slightly frustrated. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. 
And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. For it is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. What? <laughs> Seriously? He is on this massive high. He goes on this dangerous mission. I mean, they're spying out the land, just 12 of them. It would have been a dangerous thing. He wasn't the least bit afraid or intimidated, though, because he had been walking with Moses all these months. He'd been seeing God do what only God could do. He had marched out in front and, and battled already with a group of, of, of seasoned soldiers. I mean, we need to remember, he came from a history of slavery. All the people that were with him were slaves, 400 years in slavery. And Joshua took a group of them, unskilled warriors, and battled against Amalek and won. Joshua's thinking, this is a walk in the park. This is a piece of cake. And look at this land that God has for us. And what happens? He was disappointed. That's an understatement by the way that the people responded. And God, God was angry. God was so angry, in fact, that he determined and cursed the entire generation that refused to believe him the way Joshua had. He said, 40 years is going to pass. An entire generation is going to die out so you can take that fear with you and not infect the generation coming after you. But guess what that meant for Joshua? All his expectations, all his hopes, everything that he was looking forward to and excited about. Just like that. 40 years that he was told he was going to have to wait. Can you imagine what it would have been like that first year as he's wandering through the camp of three million odd people? What he would have had to struggle with emotionally as he looked at all these people whose whining and complaining and fear had kept him from achieving his dream? Can you imagine the thoughts that would have been roiling up inside him and how he would have had to be constantly fighting in himself not to be angry at the people, not to feel cheated, not to feel the frustration just to eat him up because they had been the cause of him not being able to do what God had said you could do? Can you imagine? And this lasted for 40 years. His disappointment must have been extraordinary. And you know what? I think it was that moment, the moment when God said, fine, you're not going to go in. All of you, this entire generation, you're going to die here in the desert. You're going to stay, pitch your tents, and stick it out here in the wilderness for 40 years. In that moment, not the moment when he was on the mountain with Moses, not the moment when he saw the Red Sea parting, not all those moments before when he had been in with Moses and seeing God work, but in this moment when his 
Hopes had been snatched seemingly away from him when what he was expecting had been taken away. In that moment, I believe, was when he determined his future as a leader. How he responded to his disappointment in that moment was what God was looking for to decide who he was going to be in his future. He had a choice in that moment. Joshua is like we are because we all struggle with those moments of decision when we are faced with disappointment. And we have a choice to make when those broken expectations come. When what we hoped for doesn't happen. What we expected doesn't work out the way we thought it would. But God said, but God said, yeah, he did. He did, but it didn't work out. What are you going to do with it in that moment? Because the enemy is there, working deep inside of us in that moment. Looking for a handle he can grab a hold of. Something where he can where he can place thoughts in your mind and start feeding those thoughts. The Bible calls them fiery darts. He's shooting them at you constantly. Thoughts that hit your mind, constantly hit your mind. And you begin to question in your heart and build a case against God. We don't like to admit that that's what we do, but it is. In our thoughts, in our hearts, as we entertain these negative responses, we're building a case against God. And then when something else happens in our lives, as it surely will, we feel vindicated. We say, see, I knew it. That's what happened before. I knew this was going to happen. And it begins feeding that spirit of discontent. Negative emotional response. And I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Little things obviously happen throughout life. But five years ago, we moved here uh, from Canada nine years ago. Five years ago, I had something ex that I experienced in my own life that was like this kind of circumstance for me. When we moved here to England, God did crazy, extraordinary miracles to get us here. Um, there was no question in my mind or the minds of my two younger daughters who came with me that we were exactly where God intended us to be. And we followed him. And there was an expectation in my heart for a bunch of things, but for one thing in particular. And I was so excited because I thought, finally, this is going to happen. Yes. And my girls were on the same page. We, we prayed so often about this one thing, so often. And we're so excited when a, a year and a half, less, just under a year and a half into our time here, we thought that it had come to pass. The celebration, the rejoicing, the praising God, it was extraordinary. But the time came when... A, a, a series of circumstances arose and what we thought was the fulfillment of what we had been expecting was going to be taken away from us. And we thought, no, no, this is God. We know we're supposed to be here. 
We know we're supposed to be here. This is what God has said for us. And this, what we're experiencing right now, this is God's best. And so we began to pray. And we brought our close friends in the church. And there are, are people here who know what I'm talking about. And the prayer that went into it. And the word. Oh, my goodness. We had prophetic words. We had scriptures. We, had, we were hanging on to this. We knew that we knew this was God. And a deadline arose, which I had to meet. And the deadline went. And what we were expecting from God didn't happen. And I can tell you, I felt like my feet had been cut out from under me. Like someone had sucker punched me and left me lying on the ground. I was, I was so blindsided, I seriously, I did not know what I was going to do with myself. I spent weeks crying before God, trying to figure out what I had done wrong, what had gone wrong, questioning every decision I had made leading up to then. And it affected that aspect of my life because even though I didn't question who God was, even though I didn't walk away from my faith, even though I didn't stop praying or reading the word, I had a seed of doubt in me now that maybe I didn't hear God. Maybe I really wasn't sure. Maybe I hadn't heard right. Maybe it was just, there was such confusion. And it lasted for almost two years. Two years of fighting and, and wondering and questioning and doubting myself and and my relationship and call from God. There was only one response that I needed to have. But I seemed incapable of making that response. And it was another trauma, actually, that brought me freedom. My dad died. And God brought me to the place where he needed me to understand who the father was, who he was as my daddy. He made me look at my earthly father. He took me through a, a real journey, a very, very painful journey. But in that journey, I discovered my God as my father and his nature. And it was when I understood the nature of my heavenly father that everything changed. Everything changed. And how did that happen? How, do you, how did I deal with the disappointment? And how do you need to deal with your disappointment in those moments when things happen that don't make sense? And they will. How do you deal with it moving forward rather than getting trapped in a cycle of disappointment, of blame, of justifying your feelings? First, there is an absolutely foundational thing, a truth that you need to grab a hold of, and this is what saved me. You must know that you know that you know God is good. He is good. There is no debate on that issue. He is good. He is driven by good. He can only do good. His plans for you are only good. Everything about who he is and what he does is good. But until you know that for yourself, you won't be able to deal with your disappointment. 
because you'll be questioning him all the time. It's a foundational truth that I don't think any Christian, any believer, can go through their Christian life in a successful, peaceful way without knowing that God is good. So, Ephesians 4.26. Go ahead. Be angry. It's okay. It's okay. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. That was the first mistake I went made. I wasn't, well, I was angry with God for a little while. I will admit that. But it was that I held on to the negative emotion for as long as I did. Because it feeds itself. The scripture says that we have a 24-hour window to deal with our negative emotion. Ouch. <laughs> it doesn't just refer to marriage partners, guys. <laughs> we have a 24-hour window. Now, I'm not saying your circumstances are going to change in 24 hours. It certainly, that wouldn't have been the case for me, for sure. It's not about the circumstances. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. It's about your relationship with the living God and how you can go through your day-to-day -day life in relationship with him, despite the circumstances. You've got 24 hours to deal with it, guys. When you're disappointed, get away somewhere. Get away somewhere. I like, I'm an outdoorsy person. I love to be out in the bush, out in the forest and mountains, whatever. I, I, I'll find whatever space I can get, and I, I might yell. I might do just that, be angry. Go ahead, be angry. It's okay. God's not affected by, by how you deal with your stuff. But just know this. When you come into his presence and you lay it all out, you put all of your, your hurt and your, and your accusation, your whatever it is, when you throw it out there, just recognize that you're coming from the place of knowing God is good. God is good. So like in a relationship, if you've been married or if you are married or if you have a partner and you're in a relationship of some sort, you know the first thing of fighting fair is you never say you always. <laughs> you attack the problem, not the person. When you go into the presence of God, you're not saying you, 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 because we know God is good, so it can't be him. It's the circumstance that has you hurt. So pour it out before God. Let him know how you're feeling. And be honest with him. Say, God, I thought you said this. I thought that's what I heard. And this is what happened. And this is how I'm feeling. And then don't turn around and walk out. Stay there and wait. Once you let it all out, stay there and wait for God to respond. You might find, as I did, that the presence of my daddy filled the room. It filled the room. I still don't know why what happened happened. And you know what? It's okay. I don't need to know why. The only thing that is important for you, for me, is to know that we are loved and that God is good and that his plans for us are good. His plans for us are good. The mistake is never with God, ever. Never with God. So deal with your circumstances. You have the tools to deal with them. I like how Bill Johnson says, when, how we respond to negative circumstances in life. He says, circumstances reveal my real level of faith, not my perceived level of faith. 
I've been a, a student pastor for years, and um, uh, I've used this illustration many times with students. Um, now, some of you, because you saw me this morning, know what I have in here. But most of you don't. There's something in here, something soft. And I could squeeze it, but you don't know what's in it. Now, if I show you what's here, what have I got? An orange, yeah. If I squeeze it really hard, if I'm strong, like I have got that squish, what would come out of the orange? Juice, right? Orange juice. But you don't know that. If I had it hidden and I squeezed it, you wouldn't know what was going to come out. It's only when the pressure is applied that what's out comes in. What's in comes out, rather. Under pressure, we reveal who we really are. And that's another ouch moment. Scripture in the New Testament, it says, out of the abundance of a man's heart, his mouth will speak. We need to recognize that. Until the pressure is applied, we'll find out what's really inside. How you respond to the disappointment reveals where you're at with God, the level of faith that you're at. You might think you have more faith than you do, but once the pressure comes, once that negative situation arises, how you respond to it will reveal to you the level of faith, the capacity that you have to respond to that situation. Moses discovered the quality of the people that he was leading, sadly, very quickly. Let's have Exodus 16 up. The Lord hears your murmurings, which you murmur against him. What are we? Moses is talking about himself and Aaron. Your murmurings aren't against us, but they're against the Lord. Again, in Numbers, it says, The very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering again against Moses and Aaron, saying, You've killed the Lord's people. Next slide. Jesus faced it answered, stop grumbling and saying things against me to one another. In Philippians, we're exhorted, do everything without murmuring or questioning the providence of God. You know, I looked up that word murmuring or grumbling. Fascinating in both the Hebrew and the Greek. Fascinating. It means to have secret displeasure. So it's something that's going on in your heart. To complain inwardly, to reason against the truth. And this is an interesting, to abide or continue to dwell in that place. This is the danger that we face when we don't follow that 24-hour rule. Is that we begin to stir up inside ourselves this case that we are building against God. We're mumbling and murmuring and thinking on this negative emotion, the way that our circumstances have turned out. And it's festering inside us, and it's building more and more negative emotion. The, the Bible describes it as having a thought that goes into your head that then becomes an imagination because you're allowing that thought to, to stew in your mind. And that imagination, as you continue to think about it and think about it and not deal with it, then becomes a stronghold. What you think on becomes what you meditate on. You need to stop feeding those feelings of anger. Solomon says it this way in Proverbs 26, for lack of fuel, the fire will go out. 
Stop feeding those negative emotions. That's why you have to deal with it within 24 hours. Your circumstances might not change, but you have to deal with the emotion. Stop feeding it. Stop putting more wood on the fire. You're feeding that disappointment. So when something else happens in your life, you're so ready to blame God because you haven't dealt with the disappointment from before. Get real with God. Here you are working for the right to stay in unbelief. How silly is that? Fighting to justify your negative emotions rather than choosing to trust God. Get real with him. Because your response is a seed that is sown into your future. What kind of a future do you want? Those hopes, those dreams, those aspirations that you have now? You want to sow that seed now that produces the harvest in your future. Just like Joshua did. And how do I know that Joshua responded the right way through those 40 years? Well, because when the time came, God chose him to be the one to lead these people. Joshua 1 I love this. Moses dies. 80 years Moses spent serving God, 40 years of them in the desert with these contentious people. After the death of Moses, the servant of God, God spoke to Joshua, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant is dead. Get going. I just need to stop there for a moment. When I read this particular translation, I just started laughing. I thought, this is so God. This is so God. You know, there's a wonderful scripture that says that, that when we ask God for forgiveness, he puts our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, so, does he, so far away does he, he take our sins from us. He doesn't remember it. It's over. It's done. The past is gone. It's over. And this is what he's saying to Joshua. Moses is dead. Okay, let's go. This faithful, extraordinary leader, God is saying, he's dead. Don't dwell on it. I have a plan and a purpose. Let's go. Let's go. Cross the Jordan River, you and all the people. Cross to the country I'm giving to the people of Israel. I'm giving you every square inch of the land you set your foot on, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, east to the great river, the Euphrates River, and the Hittite country, then west to the great sea, it's all yours. All your life, no one will be able to hold out against you. In the same way I was with Moses, I will be with you. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. Be strong. Have courage. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong. Have courage. Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God, your God is with you every step you take. Every step you take. You know, it was amazing. Again, this morning, we have pre-service prayer before the, before the service starts. And uh, um, we had a, 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 I don't know what you call it, a prophetic word or just a word of, of knowledge that came out. And again, nobody has a clue what I'm going to be talking about. And the Lord said, the first time was the law, the second time was freedom. Is that not just amazing? This is what God is saying. That first part of your journey, you were under the law. You were slaves coming out from a place of slavery. Your mindset was one of just staying in this box, being doing what you're told, not understanding the heart of who God is. 
But this next phase, this phase I've called you to lead Joshua, this, this part of your journey is moving from that place into a new place, a place you've never gone before. And you need to follow my presence to get there. You need to follow this ark as you get over the river. And you need to follow me to attain that, to reach that. God didn't want Joshua or those following him to dwell on the past. This is a constant exhortation. You can go throughout the whole scriptures. Just a couple here I've got, starting with Luke. Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. Don't, don't be stuck in what happened before. The mistakes you made, the disappointments that you've had, the things that didn't go the way that you hoped they would go. God is saying, look, this is a new place. This is a new beginning. This is a new start, just as we were exhorted before, after praise and worship. Seize the moment. Seize this moment God is putting before you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, that will give you a future and a hope. God is good. His plans hadn't changed any. What he told Joshua was exactly what he had told Moses. What was the difference? The difference was the way they responded to their disappointment. They get into the desert and all they could do was think about what they didn't have, not about what was ahead and what God had for them. We, only, we, we had leaks back in Egypt. God, we had leaks. Like, seriously? I've got a land flowing with milk and honey just over there, but I want leeks. And the water, it was, it was in canals. I have to go from, God, I mean, really, how they responded to their disappointment was the reason why all that happened. Same promise, same destination. But the way they responded determined what happened to them going forward. And Joshua did exactly what God told him to do. He ordered them to break camp. He'd been waiting 40 years for this moment. He was excited. He wasn't going to hesitate now. If I could have... When it came time to cross the Jordan River, he stood at the edge of that water and he said, told the priests, start walking. Just like Daniel said this morning, put your foot forward. And the moment their feet touched the water, what do you think happened? They passed. The water stopped at the head, head of the river. It backed all up for miles back to the city of Adam, so that the riverbed was completely dry. And the presence of God preceded them, and they stood in the middle of this dry riverbed, and the entire company of Israelites started to go over. Well, almost the entire. You have a moment of decision. <laughs> we all do. This morning, it's to to deal with disappointment. It's to deal with those hurts that you've just been hanging on to. Those things that you just won't stop going on and on over in your head. When Joshua got ready to take these guys over, there was a group, two and a half tribes from the 12 tribes that made up the nation of Israel. And this is what they said, Numbers 32. Um, notice the towns of Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimra, Heshbon, etc., etc. The Lord has conquered this whole area for the community of Israel, and it's ideally suited for all of our livestock. 
If we have found favor with you, please let us have this land as our property instead of giving us the land across the Jordan River. That breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. That we have it in us. All the opportunity that God gives us. All that he does to prepare the way for us. All that he performs on our behalf to show us his faithfulness. His extravagant patience as he waits and waits and waits for us to just say, I trust you because you are good. And this group of people said, you know what? Yeah, we'll, I'll, we'll send our warriors over to help you guys conquer the land over there. But we want, we want to stay safe. It's comfortable over here. We like the way things have developed. We don't want to cross over and be in that place that you promised us. We want to stay here. It feels safe. I'm okay with my mediocrity. But you know, good is the enemy of best. You might feel comfortable where you are. Because it takes vulnerability to say, I trust you, God, with this hurt. I trust you with this disappointment. I trust you with this pain that I seem to have been living with for a very long time. I trust you. It takes courage. God said that to him three times. Be courageous. Be courageous. I am faithful. I'm going to fight those battles for you. I am going to do it for you. You just have to believe I'm good and choose to follow me. What many people don't know is, of course, as, as Joshua crossed the river, they took stones from out of the riverbed and they built a monument on the shores, on the new shores that they were coming to. And Hebrew tradition says that they actually wrote on these stones the law. So it would be a constant reminder to anyone who saw them that this was the land that God had promised and it was the foundation of this land was in the word of God and, and his plans for them as a nation. But what many don't know is that there was a second monument that was built. After the first one was raised, the entire community of the Israeli nation had gone through, Joshua returned to where the priests were standing in the middle of the river and he built a second monument in the riverbed. He piled up 12 more stones right there in the middle of the river. And then he and the priests and the Ark of the Covenant left the riverbed for the last time and went on shore and watched as the waters came back together and completely covered that second pile of stones. What was jo Joshua saying? What was he showing to his people? There is a memorial for what God has done. Whatever you have gone through in the past, God was there with you in it. Whatever disappointments you've gone through, whatever hope hurts you've endured, whatever hopes have been disappointed, he was there. He was there. We recognize that. We don't deny it. But let him cover it. Let him cover it. Let him wash away the pain associated with those memories as you move into something new. You haven't been this way before. You haven't been this way before. I'd like everybody to stand, please. 
It says in Philippians 3, the last scripture, Andy. Dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it. I haven't reached this place of perfection, but I'm focusing on this one thing. I'm going to forget the past. I'm going to look forward to what lies ahead and press on so that I can reach the end of the race and receive that heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. We are in a new year, everyone. And Kesset, as a church, we're in a new season. We're not going to look back. We're not going to look back at the mistakes that we've made, and there have been some. We're not going to look with regret on things that have happened before. We're looking forward because there is a new wind that is blowing. The wind that, that blew across the, the waters of the Red Sea and part of the Red Sea is not the same wind that took place over the Jordan River. One was the law. The second was freedom. Freedom. God has freedom for you because he is good. He is good. But it will require you to bury what was in the past. Let him cover it so that you can start fresh and go where you've never gone before. I want to pray for you this morning because I know just the confirmations that we've had through everything that's happened this morning, I know that there are a lot of us here this morning a lot of you who have been dealing with disappointed dreams, disappointed hopes, with hurts. And I want to pray for you this morning. With every eye closed, if you can relate to what I was speaking about, if you can say, that is, that is me. I didn't realize that I'd been building a case against God in my heart. I didn't realize that I had been nurturing this disappointment. But I can see now how, how what happened then has been affecting my relationship with God now. It's been affecting the way I hear Him. It's been affecting the choices that I make. If, if that is you, I want you just to slip your hand up so I can see you. Because I want to pray for you. I want to see you get victory. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I see. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Father, Holy Spirit, I thank you so much. I thank you for how you bring healing and life and restoration that all we need to do is step, one step forward, just one step forward, and you meet us where we're at. Father, I pray for each and every person here who has recognized that they have held on to disappointment. They've held on to the hurts. And they've nurtured a case against you. And we together, we just ask for forgiveness. We come before your throne, Father, and we ask you to forgive us for holding you responsible for those negative things that have happened in our lives. And we say, Father, we know you are good. We know you are good. And we ask you, Father, to fill each person here with the knowledge of your absolute extravagant love for them that you would cover, absolutely, completely cover those circumstances that have brought them this, into this place of pain. I just speak over each one of you in the name of Jesus. 
I declare freedom over your minds that the strongholds that have been, have been in your thoughts maybe for years, believing things about yourself, believing things about God that were not true. I take authority over those lies and I expose them now to the truth of God's word. You are loved and God has good plans for your life. And we declare those lies to be what they are. They are lies. And we, I release in the name of Jesus that spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of God's perfect will and plan for your life that you would know the hope of the calling that he has for you. That you would believe him and believe what he says about you. I just release life. And I declare, Father, today we choose as a congregation and as individuals, we choose, Lord, to leave the past behind and to believe you as we step into the new. Blow, blow your wind through this people, Father. A refreshing wind. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.